175. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like uh, a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, I'm super hyped today because we are in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? And uh, 1 Corinthians is a really dope book. And um, yeah, it, it's so good just this time around uh, working through it, it. It was just such a blessing. The Lord just showed me so much uh, in it. So I'm excited for y'all to dig in with me um there's this old saying that says um if your only tool is a hammer then every problem becomes a nail but what's interesting about that that phrase is that um if all your problems are actually nails <laughs> then the only tool you actually really need is a hammer and i think that in that small uh, adage that i kind of flipped around um in a nutshell that is the message of the book of first corinthians um first corinthians has this basic problem solution structure right it, it is one of one of paul's most highly uh, structured letters and paul points to a problem in the church and he provides a solution now it's interesting because every problem according to paul is a nail and so paul says no no, no i just want to use a hammer for all of these nails so over and over and over again he'll pr present a problem and then provide the solution and then, and, and and it was interesting is again the same tool is used every single time to address the problem and you know what that that solution is i love it the solution is the gospel <laughs> the gospel the gospel of jesus christ he uses the same solution for every equation he uses the same prescription for every illness the gospel paul point paul's point is this the gospel in its multifaceted natures and its complex layers is the solution to every single problem we have as christians every problem um i love what uh christian philosopher uh the late Dallas Willard says, he says, there's no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. I think on, on the surface, that statement is like, ah, nah, there's some big problems in the world, right? That we can't. But when you really think about it, if we apply the the, the, the wise teachings of scripture, the, the, the wise teachings of Jesus and follow Jesus in the way of love that he's called us to, I'm sure that um, we'd see that he really is <laughs> the solution to our problems and i think first corinthians shows us that the gospel's usefulness man doesn't stop at conversion right it is it is to be worked into integrated with every single aspect of our lives right and so we're going to see paul do this in this book and so i'm really hype i'm really uh, <laughs> uh selling this book crazy <laughs> this joint better be fire anyway um a little more context before we jump in uh corinth is this is this, is this cosmopolitan city in the ancient uh, mediterranean world uh think new york la london las vegas dubai right a center of economics business travel diversity it was a major port city and crosswords uh crossroads in the ancient mediterranean and so one of the functions of it being uh this big crossroads uh area was that corinth became a major center hear this for spreading of ideas and philosophies so in in one sense it was fertile ground for the gospel right because it was it was it was it was, it was uh very much influenced by many ideas um, and, and it was also very, um, so, so, so yeah. And when, once this is fertile ground for the gospel, but in one another sense, in another sense, it's, uh, it was very tough place to be Christian. Why? Because it was very pagan. There were many temples, uh, and pagan gods and God to pagan gods and goddesses. And so it was, it was many things to, to allure you and attract you, uh, uh, away from Christ and the gospel. And so, um, Paul is in the city and he plants a church there. He stays there a year and a half and, uh, you know, he goes away, keeps going, Paul's on his, uh, mission on his journey. And he hears that these cats is wilding, right? These cats are like wilding, wilding. And so the first problem in chapters one through four that Paul is going to address to his early Christians is the problem of divisions, right? Divisions, divisions, divisions uh, over leaders, right? Over leaders in the church. 
So he opens up after he greets them and thanks them as he would in typical uh, uh, fashion in those days uh, in a Greco-Roman letter. He says this, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people. Now, nah, Chloe's folks, let me know that there is rivalry among you. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. One of you says I belong to Paul or I belong to Apollos or I belong to Cephas or I belong to Christ. It's interesting because these aren't just uh, small disagreements that said, okay, we can agree, we can agree to disagree, but these were disagreements uh, and factions that actually broke fellowship. Fam. These were these were fundamental divisions that destroyed unity within the body. Essentially, these believers were dividing over leaders in the church and placing their faith in the leaders in a sense. And and so they essentially became gospel groupies, <laughs> right? Like just to keep it a buck with you, you feel me? And notice Paul is quoting here. He says, I belong to Paul, quote unquote. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas, quote unquote. And Paul, he does this throughout the letter. He quotes the Corinthians a bunch and he kind of dismantles the arguments over and over and over. And um, the thing here, the problem here is that their personal individual allegiance to specific leaders has snuffed out the corporate allegiance they should they should have had to the leader of all leaders, right? To Christ himself, right? And this happens in the church today. It it, it functions in some of our historical leaders that we may uh, venerate from the past, the theological heroes we may have, some uh, present pastors we listen to more than our own pastor, right? Let's keep it a buck. Um, but I love how he combats this issue with the gospel. Oh, it's so good. It's so hard. He says, for the word of the cross, <laughs> check it. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is a power of God to us, to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, <laughs> a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. That's a lot there. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's saying, what you guys are doing, these guys are dividing over this worldly wisdom and eloquence that is present within these earthly leaders. And what Paul is saying, he says, fam, no, no, no. This is cutting across the deepest logic, hear me, of the gospel, right? And what he's saying is, no, no, no. He juxtaposes the two. He says, no, no, the prideful confidence in human wisdom is diametrically opposed, fam, to the word of cross for Paul. And he quotes, it's very good because he uses scripture and Paul is the this this careful reader of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament text. He he uses Isaiah 29 and Jeremiah 9 to prove his point. We can't go there. We don't have time. But these passages show God as one acting to judge and save his people in the last days in a way. Hear this. Oh, I love it. That defies human logic, subverts their expectation and is beyond their imagination. And Paul is saying this is what happened at the cross. <laughs> He says the cross has subverted all human wisdom. He says, no, 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 it's counterintuitive. Nobody could have guessed it. Nobody could have predicted it. And according to worldly wisdom, it actually looks foolish. It doesn't make sense. It seems weak. A crucified Messiah. And what Paul is saying is that this, this foolish way, quote unquote, is the way in which God reveals his wisdom. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so it's so paradoxical and it's so deep. He says, this is the way God has revealed his wisdom and his power. In other words, Paul is saying to them and to us that if we are tempted or if we have put our faith in a wise human leader over and against our brothers and the body, then we haven't gazed at the wonder of the cross long enough. We haven't really understood the cross. 
right? This wisdom from above has shamed and radically subverted the very wisdom of this world. Paul says that the gospel, <laughs> specifically the cross of Christ, is the solution to this very problem. First Corinthians 2. And two, he's still at the neck. I love it. Paul's still at the neck. He comes down and he says, yo, I, I came announcing to you the mystery of God, chief. Like, no, 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 no. I came I came announcing the mystery of God. And I love the language. He says, he says, um, the mystery of God. So, so remember, Daniel, in, in the Bible, a mystery is not something uh, weird that we can't understand. A mystery is something that was once hidden and has now been revealed. So he talks about this in Ephesians chapter three, uh, verses eight and nine, when he talks about the inclusion of the Gentiles. But he's on, he's on the same wave here. He's like, fam, I preached this Christ to you. And the mode of my preaching was actually consistent with the with the content. So weakness and fear, two words he used in chapter one. So so that you would know that you got converted. Hear me. Oh, this is good. He says, you got converted, not because I was persuasive, my, my, my G, but because God was powerful. <laughs> he says, he says in the rest of the chapter, he, he talks further. He talks about the wisdom of the cross and he, and he kind of ironically waxes eloquent here, right? In the text. And he had, a, he had a pen for sure, but he's basically saying in chapter two, he's basically saying that the wisdom that comes from God is apocalyptic. Now that's a big theological term. I'm gonna break it down. Meaning that, um, the wisdom that comes from God is a reveal, a revelation from God, from outside of the world that comes into the world for the world, right? It is the revelation of God's wisdom from the age to come, from the future, from the age that we don't have access to unless God grants us access that comes and breaks back into this present age. And, and this is only made sense of because it is not of this world. It is not made sense of by the wisdom of this world. So, so Paul in chapter two, he said, no, no, like the spirit, he says, the spirit did this chief, the spirit revealed the, the only reason Christ's gospel in the cross makes sense and is effective to you is because of the Holy Spirit that was given to you. And so he says, human capacity for knowing and knowledge and wisdom can't get us here. It can't get us here, fam. He says, it's only the spirit of God. He said, it's, he said, it's the spirit of God that helps us understand and see and interpret the meaning and implications of the work of Christ, of the work of the son of God. I love where he goes in, in chapter three, because he argues so tight, fam. I would never want to be in a debate with Paul. And, and three, he plays on the theme of the spirit. <laughs> he goes and he plays on the theme of the spirit and the flesh, and he kind of sets them in opposition to one another. He says, fam, y'all are supposed to be spiritual, but in fact, y'all are acting worldly or fleshly, uh, is what the text literally says. Fleshly. How do we know this? Look what he says. He says, for since there is envy and strife, this is the CSB, among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Now, envy and strife, I like the translation of quarreling here for strife. In other words, Paul is saying, you guys are acting like you actually don't have the spirit of God. No, no, no. Like y'all are acting immature. How do I know? Because once again, y'all are bickering. <laughs> y'all are quarreling and dividing over things that ain't important. Whew, I wish I had time. I wish I had time, fam. Why don't we do the same thing today? We divide and bicker and fight over stuff that don't really matter, right? We show our immaturity in the faith when we do the exact same things that the Corinthians were doing. And he goes on to speak directly and say, no, 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 fam. Like, think about it. Y'all saying y'all belong to Paul. Like, like fam, we just servants, chief. We ain't supreme. We just servants, right? And he really wants them to get this. And I still, he's like, God gives the growth. He's like, no, 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 no. Like we, we plant, we water, we do all that. Oh, nah, but we don't make stuff come out the ground. <laughs> he said, he says, in other words, he's saying God is working through us, but not because of us, right? It's, it's in spite of us. It's, 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 it's God doing the work. And, and may we as well never get that same message turned around. God works through his servants, but not because of them, right? It's the one, it's the Lord who they should be boasting in. Finally, 
chapter four, he finishes off this section in four saying that as servants of the crucified and risen Christ, uh, it, more than anything, uh, you know, servants are to be found faithful. Uh, so many of us, this is, this is key. So many of us, especially those of us who are in ministry or who are, have, who have, um, you know, influence over a group of people, whatever it may be, pastors, leaders, um, you know, some of us, so many of us are concerned in our hearts, uh, even if we don't say it out loud with the idea of being successful, right? We want to be successful, right? And that, and that, that we define success, uh, by very much worldly metrics, right? Numbers, right? Uh, followers, right? Money, all the, like literally real tea. We got to be honest. And, and Paul is saying like, we, the, the main thing that matters G is that we're found faithful, right? I'm convinced, fam, like some of the people that's going to sit closer to the, to the throne in heaven is some of the cast we never heard of. Right. Like like real tea, because they they just weren't concerned with everything else. They were just trying to be faithful. Why? Because they were they knew who they they knew they wanted to be faithful because they knew they would be held accountable. And it wasn't by any of them. Notice what Paul says. He's like, I ain't I ain't trying to be examined by none. Of you. I don't even examine myself. What he means by that is not that I don't I don't see where I am spiritually, things like that. But he's saying, like, at the end of the day, fam, like I am held accountable to one person. And that is God. <laughs> and that is God. And so at the end of the day, like this kind of evaluation of leaders and hierarchies that we that we kind of create is foolish, is rubbish, is very much worldly. It's of this age. It's of the world. That's what the world does. Right. And he ends off the passage talking about humility. I love it. The humility that he has that he has exemplified in which we all should aspire to. He lays out his life as a suffering apostle, one that labored with his own hands, went through persecution, slander and was treated like garbage all for the sake of the gospel. And what Paul wants these Christians to know is that we are all often so influenced by worldly metrics of wisdom, success, and even prosperity, right? But the Christian life is a conformity to the wisdom of the mystery of the gospel, the willingness to look foolish and even weak, fam, and even weak. I'm, can, I, can I be honest? Testimony, like fam, it's been so uh, uh, beautiful for me to just be weak in certain spaces with community, with my wife, with friends, with, with, with people who are, are really trying to walk this thing out with Jesus. Um, and, and, and like this text, I think this text is saying, man, um, it is knowing that the willingness and the, the uh, uh, you know, the willingness to, to seem foolish and weak is the way we experience God's power, right? That's the way God's power is made manifest. We've seen it in the cross. And Paul wants us to conform to the cross. The suffering apostle points to our suffering Messiah through whom God did these very things let's pray god we ask uh and we actually we just praise you first <laughs> we praise you for the brilliance of the gospel god that the gospel subverts all human wisdom and logic that no one could have written it up that no one anticipated it perfectly lord uh, and we just confess our foolishness lord that we are unwilling to look weak to look foolish uh, that we divide over things that are so silly i pray lord that we wouldn't boast in anything 